Hey guys, Keith here to talk to you about Lavender Lions Bath and Body. They do the bath bombs over there, and they also have, you know, any kind of lip gloss. Uh, they do the beard products, which is my favorite line. Uh, she has wax, beard oils, which are incredible. Um, even the shower gel is incredible. They're over at uh, 3446 South Main Street. 3446 South Main Street. That's in Salt Lake City. Check them out, guys. I've been using their products for months now, and, uh, and I won't go back. So um, check them out, guys. I think you'll be pretty pleased with them. Hey guys, this is the Big Things 9 podcast on the One Recovery Radio Network. This is Thursday, July 7th, 2022. Hope everybody's doing great. We got a good show today for you. We got Margo Polly, the star librarian from Louisiana, and we also have Rachel, our food critic, which will be she'll be joining us after Margo Polly. Um, so anyway, we got like I said, we got a good show, and uh, we got Margo Polly coming up, and she'll be on uh, in just a minute. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Hello, mother. Hi, Keith. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Well, welcome to the Big Things Nine podcast. Thanks. I'm really honored to be a guest on today's show. Yeah, well, I know it's uh, you've been one of our big listeners for a while, and uh, happy to have you on here to talk about uh, Al-Anon today. So, uh, going to get started. We got, I got a lot of questions to ask you, and, uh, and I know you've uh, been going to Al-Anon for what is it, ten years now? Yes, it will be. I started in my first meeting was in November of 2011. And you, you so, can th- and you can thank me for that. I can thank <laughs> you, and I can thank my therapist at the time. <laughs> so let's so let let's talk about that. So I was in uh, I was in Tampa, and I got arrested, and you got a phone call, and you found out that I was that I was drinking again. <laughs> Yeah. So what, so what did you, so what did you do? Um, well, after I freaked out and <laughs> had a meltdown, um, I immediately did what I've always done in the past when I've felt that things were out of control and I've felt helpless. I called my therapist. I wasn't currently in therapy, uh-huh. but um, I'd certainly had many, many years in the past with a wonderful counselor a social worker and never hesitated, you know, to, to call him. And, and he, he knew about your struggles with addiction. So it wasn't like this was new. Sure. So I called him because one, you'd been arrested. And two, I had kind of just had verified what I sort of suspected was that you were not sober, mm-hmm. but you know, you lived in different, you know, you live far away and you did a pretty good job of hiding it, you know, when we saw you. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, there were signs. It was catching up. 
-hmm. But as parents, as parents, we see what we want to see. And so I called my therapist and it was a very short conversation because I told him what had happened. And he just said, "Um, I'm not going to see you. (laughs) And I was like, what What do you mean you're not going to see me? You know, I'm in crisis. He said, because I'm not the one that can help you with this. I've, you know, over the years, I've said everything that I need to say about it. Um, There's nothing new I'm going to tell you. So you need to um, go to Al-Anon. So, (laughs) and and I knew what Al-Anon was. Um, Uh I had had, I had never had, I didn't have any friends who were in Al-Anon because of addicted children, but I did have a close friend who attended Al-Anon for a while um, because of an addicted spouse. So I Mm -hmm. I knew what Al-Anon was. I just didn't know exactly I, I didn't I didn't have a clear idea of how it worked. So mm-hmm. I returned. I was living in Maryland. And of course, the counselor did suggest that um, we not bail you out of jail. And as you recall, I didn't. Um, someone else in the family did. <laughs> <laughs> Dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, that's sort of a number one rule, you know, bail <laughs> yeah, addicts yeah. out of jail. So anyway, um, so I returned back to where we were living at the time. And I... Um, uh, did my homework, you know, read a little bit about it, saw where the meetings were, called the hotline to make sure the one that I'd chosen would be an appropriate meeting for me to go to. They didn't have any um, parent groups in, in mm-hmm. Baltimore. I don't know if they do anymore, but they didn't at the time. So the, the one I attend now is a, is a parent group. Um, we have people that come to our meeting that aren't there um, because of an addicted child, but for the most part, I'd say 90, 95% are there because of the child. So anyway, so that's how, that's how I, um, that's how I walked into my, my first meeting on a, uh, Sunday morning, nine o'clock up mm-hmm. at a Loyola university, um, <laughs> in Baltimore, Maryland. That's how oh. it all started. <laughs> and, uh, Hey guys, we're talking to Margo Pauly on the big things on podcast. Um, I forgot that you were in Maryland at the time. I, I thought you were in yeah. New I thought you first started going to the Alamo one up in Covington. No, I had, um, I stayed, it, it was kind of early in our stay up there. So I started with, it was funny, you know, they tell you one of the things they tell you in Alamo, and I suspect it's probably true in AA and NA, is to, when you first start, you're supposed to go to as many meetings as you possibly can with a minimum of six different meetings. Because every, you know, every meeting has its own focus, its own character. Mm-hmm. So I did go to several meetings and then with time um, there was one meeting um, and ironically it was at 4:30 on a Sunday night, which is the same, it's the exact same time that my parent group in Louisiana that I've been going to uh-huh. for, for nine years meets. So I eventually gravitated toward a, a different meeting that wasn't my first, but I still, um, cause they were both on Sundays. So I didn't want to go to two meetings on one day. So I found another meeting during the week. So um, yeah, no, we were in, I happened to be in Louisiana for a dental appointment when I got the news that you had been arrested. Oh, um, okay. I got you. So that's why I wanted to see my counselor because he was in Louisiana. So I wanted him to see okay. me like within 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's where I was confused. I got you. Yeah. 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 So, so what was, so the what was the difference in, in the size of the two groups? Was there more people in Maryland or, or the one in Covington? 
Um, the one in Maryland that, that I first went to was a very large, I say very large, a well-established group. Everybody knew each other very, very well. I could tell um, mm. afterwards they would all socialize. Uh, you know, I never did that. Um, but it, it was a pretty, maybe as many as 25 people. Um, the one that I go to in Covington, you know, before COVID, we had pretty good number. I mean, we were averaging probably 18 to 20. Mm -hmm. um, with COVID, we went virtual and mm -hmm. we, we did seem to lose some of our, there's a few people that never came back. Right now, I'd say we're averaging about uh, 12, about 12 people. Sometimes as many mm -hmm. as 18, 20, it, it, it fluctuates, um, you know, but uh, it, it's, uh, we're back in person, obviously, oh, which yes. I think is good because that keeps people coming. People that start a meeting virtually, the, mm -hmm. the retention isn't very good. Yeah. I was going to say, because Baltimore has one of the uh, really bad problem with addiction, you know, especially with heroin. Um, yeah. Re well, I mean, like, really bad. Well, like I said, too, remember, when I first um, started, I drugs wasn't even on my radar with you. I was just, mm. you know, I just thought it was alcohol. No, I, and, stopped, I, I stopped drinking. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. But this was back in 20, you know, this was when yeah. you were right yeah. out of Florida when you yeah. were. So, yeah. you know, I didn't even know about NA and even the beauty of, of recovery programs you know, and particularly my, my group is that while we're an Al-Anon group, mm -hmm. um, we would never, ever say, you know, you can't, this isn't the meeting for you because your, your loved one just does um, drugs, doesn't drink yeah. or whatever. You know, addiction yeah. is addiction. I mean, there are, I will say there are some, we do have a few old school members that don't, tend to take a, take a narrower view and mm -hmm. they don't like any discussion of drugs. Um, so all we do is we don't, we, we don't really talk what drugs, alcohol, we just use the word addict and addiction. Yeah. So there's always, there's always a one in the meeting that um, always, and, and I get it because one of the, one of the things in Al-Anon is that a lot of us come from, um, backgrounds where there were no boundaries. Like we grew up in families that didn't have boundaries. We certainly had trouble establishing boundaries with our addicts. And so you want to be in an environment where there are clear cut boundaries and rules. So mm. it doesn't turn into a free for all. So there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of, you know, we open the meeting um, with, kind of like, here's how the meeting's going to go. Here's what you, it's not so much what you can't do, but the way you're mm -hmm. supposed to communicate. Um, sure. you know, there's no cross, there's no cross talk. Like I would say, pretend there's someone in the meeting named Susie and Susie says something. And I think that's really great. I would uh -huh. never, I would never say, Oh man, what Susie just said that really, you know, hit home with me. You're not supposed mm -hmm. to do that. You're supposed to keep it yeah. to yourself on your own, um, you know, experience, strength and hope, as we say. And, yeah. but you know, there's, there's, it would be impossible. I feel to have a meeting where there's not what we call indirect crosstalk. I mean, sure. it's what stimulates, sure. it's what stimulates good sharing, you know, yeah. speaking of, I was going to ask you, so what are, what's the main differences that people would find like that stand out between Alan and like AA and NA? Well, you know, honestly, to me, the, the, the massive difference 
is that Al-Anon is a program that is not about getting the addict sober, whereas mm-hmm. AA and NA and AA, obviously, you go there because you want to get sober. You know, you want to quit drinking and drugging. Mm-hmm. Um, and Al-Anon, and that, that, I guess, was my biggest misconception. When I first started, I just remember being in quite surprised after my first meeting because, you know, here I had shared this terrible you know, thing that happened to, to you and to our family. And mm-hmm. I was feeling helpless and, you know, but nobody said, well, here's what you need to do. Or here's what I did to get my child sober. In fact, you know, there were so many people at meeting whose, whose addicts aren't, weren't sober, you know, yeah, plenty of people. It wasn't like everybody was in the room saying, Oh, this program helped me get my child sober. Cause we know that's in, or my loved one sober because we know that's an impossibility. Nobody gets another person sober. No, nobody. So, does. so I think that's the that's the main difference. Al-Anon is to offer support with people who love someone and 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 their lives are being affected by that loved one's drinking or drugging. You know, so that that's the main difference. But the main similarity is we follow. It's a twelve step program, so we follow. Yeah almost word for word, there's a few things that change, particularly, I think the last, the 12 step that are worded differently, but it's mm-hmm. the same, it's the same program of recovery. You get a sponsor, you, you sponsor, like I'm at a point now where I'm sponsoring someone mm-hmm. for the second time, uh, not the person for the second time, the second time I am sponsoring a person, yes. um, you know, and you work the 12 steps and um, you gain the strength to do to do the hardest thing that parents are, are required to do, and that's detach, detach from your loved one, and know, you know, we grow up as parents our whole lives yeah. that we can fix. We're responsible for our kids. We can fix our kids, and yeah, with your kids thirteen or fourteen and drinking and drugging under your roof, there's a hell of a lot you can do, mm-hmm. but there's absolutely nothing you can do to get your adult child sober except encourage them to get help and stop doing the things that were promoting that lack of sobriety by, um, you know, the big E word enabling. Yeah. Yeah. You probably hear a lot of stories about like people, like kids drinking at like 13, 14 years old, don't you? And doing drugs. Huh? Yes. That that's been astounding to me. And, and, you know, as you know, I worked at a high school, well, yeah. um, a public high school, uh, yeah. a large public high school, and well, my, <laughs> yeah, and my naivete about what was going on, it was, was astounding. I mean, I, I mean, I guess it was a little different because being the librarian, the kids that I got to know very well through library use, I, I don't believe were the, were drinking and drugging. Uh-huh. Um, generally, the kids that came to the library that I got to know were either the super high achievers, and I know they can drink and drug too. Though I'm not naive about that. Yeah. But the kids that just get involved with with library programs and using library a lot, I don't think generally you have as many. I don't know, but not being a classroom teacher, I didn't get I didn't get to witness changes in behavior and kids being absent and you know, mm-hmm. truancy and all that, because that wasn't my, my job, my role at the school. But yes, um, now in our meetings, I am astounded to hear parents talk about 
you know, my, my daughter started um, drinking when she was 13. Mm. Um, we pulled my child out of, you know, kids in high school that leave high school to go to rehab facilities at, you know, six, 15 and 16 years old. That was just totally off my radar. Like when I was there, I never heard of a kid doing that. And you, and you know what's crazy is, you know, I've done a lot of research on, like, fentanyl and everything, and fentanyl's found its way into high schools. Yeah, and, uh, that's what I hear. Yeah, and fentanyl's killing people, you know. it's um, I, I read about fentanyl every single day. It's it's always in the news, you know. And uh, yeah. I, I saw that article you sent me about that that guy from Louisiana that was killed. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, crazy. It's, every, it's everywhere. I mean, I, I would think there's no place in the country that, that's – Exempt from that. They're they're not they're not even selling heroin here anymore. They're just selling fentanyl. Nobody wants heroin anymore. Yeah. It's just because it, it's crazy, but it's killing people. You know, it's awful. It's, it's, and they know it. That just yeah. shows the power of addiction. You know it. You know you're doing something that has. You have a high chance of. It's just so. It's dying. It's, it's just so much stronger. That's why they want it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's sad, but um. Yeah. So anyway, um, is Alanon for everyone? I would, that's a tough question. No, I think, I think the, the, there's, there's kind of two groups of people that don't make it in Al-Anon. One, there are, I will say there are people that come into our meeting. We see it all, but there's even a nickname for them and I can't think of what it is, but I think you can enter an Al-Anon group too soon. Um, you know, I think like you just learn your child's drinking or drugging, say, just learn. Mm. So you haven't experienced a lot of pain over it because you just found out. Sure. And then somebody says, you need to go to Al-Anon. So you go in there and you still, and I think part of learning to detach is because you have to feel a lot of pain because mm. what, it, what gives you the strength to detach is knowing you just don't want to go back to that ugly place. You just mm-hmm. don't want to go back to the ugly place of obsessive thinking and all those crazy things that we do in the beginning. So I think I think there are, there are people that go a little too soon um, based on, you know, good advice, counselors, you know, good advice. But these are not the people that stay. I can tell you that the ones also I think that struggle like AA and a um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a spiritual program. Um, you know, we use the word higher power. Yeah, because, you know, we don't there's no one religion. There's no um, nothing like that. So and and we even have uh, someone in our group that doesn't believe in any sort of traditional God like this person Mm -hmm. believes that God is love. I've been in meetings, which I have a little trouble with this concept where people believe that their higher power is the group itself, Mm -hmm. you know, being believing in a traditional God, I, I find that a difficult concept to wrap my head around. But, you know, it's not my it's not my thing to to judge. Mm-hmm. It's it's more. So I think because it is a spiritual program and accepting the fact that there are some things in life that we have absolutely a lot of things in life we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And one of the big concepts that we talk about all the time is turning our loved one over to our higher power and knowing that our loved one has his or her own higher power and they just have to find it. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing my counselor did tell me many times is that he rarely sees 
someone recover who does not strongly believe in a God, whatever that God is, it's very difficult to recover if you do not believe in God. And this is for, you know, a very secular type counselor, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of tend to think that is true. It's been my experience. So, you know, if you come in an hour meeting and you don't believe you're an atheist, you know, or an agnostic, you just don't believe in God. Or you don't have a, a identifiable God. Mm-hmm. When you're, when you're, at, you're down on your knees and your life is in shambles and the, you can't help your loved one who's, could kill themselves or kill another person. Um, you, you, you're so helpless that if, if you don't have something stronger than humans to believe in, I, I think it's really hard to have. I, I, I think faith. I think faith is needed. You know, um, in in these cases. So, so I think that those people would probably not do really well um, in Al-Anon. But you know, I, I, we, I live in the South, and I can tell you. There's not a whole lot of people around here that don't believe in, in God. It's a very southern thing, you know. Oh, I, I live in Salt Lake. I live in Salt Lake City, you know. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not something I see a, a whole lot of time. But those mm-hmm. are the ones that have, I think, trouble. Um, you know, occasionally they're, they're, and I don't mean this to be like criti- critical or something, but there's some people that just do not have the ability no matter what, no matter how hard they try, they don't have the ability to let go of control. And they work hard and they just, because of their upbringing, because whatever, they just can't do it. And, you know, that part, I'm sure, you know, no no program is going to be 100%. But if you just keep it in your mind that, and I think these are the people that can't let go of the fact that they want Al-Anon to fix their addict. Mm-hmm. So if you can't, if you can't get over that, that Al-Anon and Naranon programs are not about fixing the addict. They're about detaching with love and knowing that we're entitled to a life. In fact, we're not just entitled to a life. We're expected by God to have a life. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that, um, you know, that's, that's to me in a nutshell, mm-hmm. that's, that's the program. Yeah. Nice. Um, this is the Wonder Cubby Radio Network. We're talking to Margo Polly on the Big Things Nine podcast. Um, my next question was what what brought you to Al Anon? We got that part down, but so just kind of shifting that around. What what was it when you were in Al Anon when you realized like this 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 is for me? You know, yeah. like how long did that take you? Um not that long because by the time I came in Al-Anon, remember, this wasn't new. Mm-hmm. We first learned of your addiction in 2008. Yeah. Um, so this was not new. So I had had some years of um, real pain and anxiety to where, you know, like, you know, you don't eat right, um, mm-hmm. not sleeping well, you know, having that third mm-hmm. glass of wine, you know, when I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, those things that are not good, healthy habits. And so I was already, you know, I I was already ahead of the game in the sense that there was no denial Uh on my on my part when I walked into those rooms. You know, I mean, Mm. I I was I was ready. So that was in 20, you know, November of 2011. So I Mm. went 
we moved back to Louisiana the summer of 2012 so I could resume work. Well, as you'll recall, you also moved back to Louisiana right about, the, right about the same time. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. At, this, at this point, you were at a crossroad. You'd had some sobriety under your belt, but I knew you were, you were struggling. Mm-hmm. And this is when this was my first time of, okay, I'm really going to have to put what I've learned into practice. And with the help of both the program and I don't know if you recall, we, we had a, a friend, a dentist friend who uh-huh. was in, reco- yeah. in recovery. And he shared with me and your brother that, you know, reminded us there was nothing wrong in giving you a little help in terms of giving you a ride to work or I think I even helped you out a little bit with your sober living um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, rent for a while, but, but that the, there had to be clear cut boundaries. And if you crossed a boundary, we had to have the strength to hold that boundary. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just say you didn't waste too much time giving me a chance to, uh, to hold that boundary. <laughs> and I just remember when it was a hurricane. You know, yeah. And I, the very next day, I knew something was wrong and I was supposed to give you a ride to work and you weren't answering the phone. And I knew at that moment, my day, my, my, this, this was my moment. Yeah. This was going to be my test. And mm-hmm. I knew. And I talk about this often in meetings, particularly with newcomers. You know, we, we talk about alcoholics having their rock bottom. Well, this, this was sort of my, I call it my rock bottom, but it really was my moment, you know, my good moment where I knew that when I told you I was not, that I was done, there was mm-hmm. going to be no more, no more rides, no more financial support. Mm-hmm. I knew that at that moment I was opening the door for you to possibly end up on the streets. I didn't know what you were gonna do, but it was, I finally realized it wasn't my problem to fix. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't fix it. And mm-hmm. then even paying sober, di- you know, sober living, even paying that and you being in sober living, plenty of people relapse in sober living. And that's the reality. I mean, oh, it, yeah. of course they did. So that was my, that was my moment when I was able to um, to really realize what this program was doing for me, mm-hmm. because I don't know if I would have been able to do that. Um, well, I know I wouldn't have been able to do it if mm-hmm. I was not in program and have seen firsthand. I saw what parents that continue to do that for their kids year after year after year, month after, you know, it, it didn't do anyone any good. It prolonged the inevitable and did not give that loved one the opportunity um, for recovery for their own. I mean, it's not my recovery. I mean, I've had my own recovery in terms of Al-Anon and learning to detach. That's recovery. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not from uh, fortunately, I've never had to recover from drugs or alcohol. So, you know, it was um, that was my moment. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of sober living, I remember um I didn't tell you this, but when I, when I was, you know, just getting started or whatever with drug court and everything, um, I was going into sober living and the place I was going into my, I talked to my, my detective and, uh, she told me, um, you know, she's like, well, it's, it's a great place, you know, but she's like, Keith, it's going to be just as easy there to find drugs as it is out on the yeah. street, at, at, as it is out on the street. So this is going to be a big test. 
and it's a three yeah. month pro- it's a three month program. Then you graduate. And when I graduated, I remember Judge Scott telling me, she's like, Keith, this is big because we don't have many people that ever graduate that program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so she was like, this is a big accomplishment for you. Well, so, and I think people that don't understand that are people that don't understand addiction. So, yeah. So, I mean, sober living, it's, it's, it's a test, you know, because it is a test. And, uh, and, and for me, yeah, that was a big deal because I had plenty of chances to relapse. But at that point, I, you know, I wasn't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally, um, I totally get that. And I see it all the time in our meetings when Mm. we have newcomers and a lot of them come because their loved one has just gone into, um, treatment and Mm. a lot of treatment centers, um, Al-Anon's part of the program. So they will send, um, the parents to Al-Anon meetings, you know? So Mm -hmm. we, we, we see that a lot. They come in, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm here because my child's doing so great. You know, they're in a 30-day treatment program. No way. And then, and then they're going to sober living. And us oldies that have been there since the dawn of time, I mean, we obviously we don't say anything, but you know what's going through our head. What's oh, going yeah. through our head is the fun is just beginning. Yep. Four to six months minimum. Oh, yeah. And even – and, and right. And, and, you know – they they're very naive about the high chance of relapse as well. Yeah. Me ta- me ta- me taking my time in treatment was one of the best things I ever did, and then going to sober yeah. living for for three months, and then and then moving into my apartment like that was the best thing I ever did. The, the, the timing on that, you know, and because I was in, I was just in such a good place and had great support, you know. Well, and the best so, thing I believe the best thing that ever happened to you was getting arrested. Well, yeah, of course, because that's where everything I mean, started. That saved your life. That that's, saved your life. That that's where everything started. You got me in the right programs and everything, and you know, it was just, it was perfect. The timing was right, and I, I was were, ready. I was, I was yeah, ready. I was, you, I was ready. You, you was were growing. Two things: one, you were growing up and maturing, and two, you were with people that could actually help you. Yeah. And you know, your loved ones are very rarely the ones that ultimately help you true yep i mean their support means something obviously Mm -hmm. and their love means something but they don't really help you yeah yep that's correct um so how many members does alan have worldwide well i'm glad we prepared this question because i'll be lying (laughs) if i said i could pull this over the the top of my head i gave you this Um, early this question yeah it's there's no way you can say how many members because it's an anonymous program Uh so there's no way to say how many members and of course it changes daily but the the thing that they use to track is there's there's over twenty four thousand active al-anon family groups 24,000 wow. oh, and I think they're in is, something like 133 countries or something you know that, there's oh, that, that's just group, that's just groups alone that's just groups 24,000 oh, wow. groups I thought that was members when you told me that no so oh, I mean wow. yeah because when you go to a meeting and it's probably like AA and NA you know you every meeting every group has their own system for keeping track of their members Mm-hmm. And um, we don't we don't report that like that. That doesn't go anywhere. That doesn't mm-hmm. go to anyone. I mean, we keep track just for our own because, you know, you're supposed to you collect money and, you know, you, you do sure, that. But sure. but there's no real um, there's no real accurate way of knowing 
exactly how many um, members. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure it's not as many as people attending AA, but of course not. I, there's a lot. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's yeah. a lot. There's about, a lot. What about in your chapter, how many members are there? Um, like I said, we, we go anywhere from, tw- you know, 10 to 18 regulars is what I would mm. say. You know, and then maybe in our particular group, we probably have about eight of us, I would say, that are like always there unless, you know, they're traveling or something or they're sick, that that it's a part of our lives. Like for me, it's my, it's my Sunday activity. It's what I do every Sunday. Yep. Yep. You just do it. Yep. Is there a secret handshake? I can't tell you because then it was a secret. No, there is no, I can safely, in fact, since COVID, there's not even, we have it, you know, most groups you pray at the end and that's a big controversy right now. You know, there's a lot of push toward not saying um, the Lord's prayer. Um, And each group kind of apparently around the country and the world, they're kind of deciding that individually. Our group has decided to keep it, but if somebody stands behind a circle you know, you don't ridicule them or at go in your head. What's their problem? You know, but mm-hmm. we used to, you would hold hands during the prayer. Yeah. But then with, with COVID, we stopped it. And um, that's one thing we have, we have, we don't wear masks anymore in the meeting, but that's one thing yeah. we have. Yeah. We haven't resumed the hand holding and, you know, we may, it may be something that we may never do. I mean, there are people that are not comfortable with holding hands with strangers. You know, I don't carry the way personally yeah. but um it, it may be something you know with with more emphasis now on germs it may be something that yeah we we, we held hands we held hands last night at the meeting yeah well you're, the one you went to last night that's the one where you know everybody in your building yeah yeah it's it's here to yeah uh, so yes yeah, so, so you kind of feel all warm fuzzy anyway because you know them <laughs> you know from the yeah. building good point yeah. um so next question so the alcoholics attend Al-Anon ever? Yes. And it's interesting. I'm glad tell you asked that, that question. Yeah, tell me about that. Yes. Are, wait, um, are, they, are, you know, are, they, are they welcome, you know? Oh, absolutely. But they're not there. The alcoholics that come to our meeting aren't there to get help. The alcoholics that come to our meeting, I would say, are 100% in recovery. Um, so they're, they're okay. not there. I, I can't ever remember having an alcoholic come to our meeting that was currently using, unless they got there by mistake. Occasionally we'll have somebody think it's an, and I, let me tell and I'll, I'll tell you that, hold on to that thought because I want to tell you about what that, sometimes yeah. what happens. It's really yeah. interesting. But anyway, um, so, um, but we have, because it's a family disease and, and because it's a, often a gene that's passed down, you have a, a, quite a lot of alcoholics that, recover and then the gift that keeps on giving they have alcoholic children or they marry alcoholics because that's their comfort zone you know they grew up in chaos so what do you do you marry you're attracted to chaos and drama so we we have quite a few and it's interesting um i've observed over the years that the alcoholics that are in al-anon seem to have a much harder time with detachment with their children than the non-alcoholics do. And it's, it's kind of, it's ironic because, okay, they're the first to tell you, I got sober 
because, you know, I had my rock bottom and was out of options and, you know, nobody was enabling and I, ha I had no choice. But yet they know that. But when it's their own child, they have trouble. And, and someone once, I think an alcoholic once said, well, it's because of the alcoholic type A personality trait that often goes hand in hand with alcoholism. Mm. So it, it's just same reason why when an alcoholic or a drug addict gets sober, they often still exhibit that alcoholic behavior, mm -hmm. even when they're sober. So it, it, it is interesting. I mean, I would say like right now in our group, maybe uh, 10, maybe 10%, maybe as much as 20% are in what, what the way we say it is they say, and I'm also in another program. Mm -hmm. So when they say that, they, like they don't start by saying, hey, I'm uh, John, and I'm an alcoholic, you know, they don't yeah, introduce yeah, yeah. themselves that way, but it generally, it generally comes out, you know, in sharing. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I mean, like I said, you know, um, we, there's two kinds of meetings too. There's open and closed meetings. And, and closed, you, right? you know that. No, oh, we're open. Oh, you're open. Okay. Anyone, anyone can come to our meeting. Anyone is welcome. Sometimes we have like um, nursing, you know, people that are getting certified in social work and nursing students, things like that, they'll come just to, to see and, and hear what it's about. Um, so it's, it's an open meeting. Um, yeah. So anyone can come. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, let me see here. So is Al-Anon a religious fellowship? Well, it's a spiritual and, and that, you know, when I said earlier in the, in the podcast, the people that have, tr that, that I think have trouble in it, it's a spiritual program, but just like AA, there is, we do not affiliate with any established religion. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your higher power can be whatever you want your higher power to be. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, it's just kind of the, the, the way it is. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's religious. I, I, I say it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's spiritual. And, you know, how, and to me, those two are often one and the same, but not always. Okay, good. good. So what can you tell me about Naranon? Well, I, one of my favorite, I've never attended a Naranon meeting, Naranon meeting for one reason, because we didn't have one here. Okay. But about six months ago, um, they did start one. And one of the, the guys that comes to our um Al-Anon meetings, he was one of the founders of the, the Naranon group. Mm -hmm. And I really did want to show support and start going because I know they're struggling. Mm -hmm. It's not, a, it's maybe not at the best time. It's like Saturdays at like 530. Um, you know, I really have been, have wanted to go, but um, I, one of my fate, there's a NAR, you know, we have these daily readers and the one mm -hmm. that I use is the one that our meeting uses. It's called Courage to Change. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean changing the alcoholic. It means having the courage to change yourself. Um, there's a Naranon daily reader. And I don't know what the name of it is. It's in the house. I'm out in the guest house. But um, mm -hmm. the, I love the Naranon reading. The Naranon daily reader is my favorite. Really? Just because it's the same. It's exact same principle as mm -hmm. Alanon. Exactly. Really? However, it's a little bit, um, a little edgier. Things aren't quite as sugar-coated um, <laughs> yeah you know and, and i like i like that about it um yeah you know there there was a 
just to give you, you asked me before about like I was talking about some of the purists in our meetings that are real rule followers. Well, one time there was a Naranon reading that was so wonderful, mm-hmm. and I was chairing the meeting and I asked permission to read it, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's fine." Yeah, good, great. It was a great reading. We had great sharing, but one of the someone in the meeting did get upset, and yeah. well, and it turned out, and in fairness, it turned out that. There is a rule that you can only read what they call conference-approved literature, um, and I, I know that's an AA rule and NA Even, rule. Like you can't just you can't just bring in a reading from a magazine that you read. It has to be something that comes from an Al-Anon published uh, thing. Well, I thought I misunderstood. I thought it could be NA, AA, yeah. Al-Anon, but it can't. It has to be. Al-Anon at an Al-Anon meeting. So I was wrong and I apologized, but it, it was sort of a, it was sort of a, a kind of a little bit of a drama um, at the meeting. And, you know, I I did end up apologizing. Um, Some people felt I shouldn't have, but, you know, I I broke a, I broke a, a rule that was clear. It wasn't like a gray zone. It was clear. It was black and white. Uh-huh. And I, I probably shouldn't have done it, even though it was like the best reading ever. And <laughs> we had a fabulous <laughs> discussion, but I, I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have done it. So is there a registration process or is just anyone can just show up? How does that work? Anyone can show up. Um, there's a, there's a website just like for any of them. And it tells you when the meetings are, um, mm-hmm. we, we do a thing in our group where, um, and this is something we just started fairly recently. You know, because a lot of people come to an Al-Anon meeting and they have no idea, one, what it's really about. And two, like, how's the meeting going to go? Like, what do you do? What are the expectations? So when we have a newcomer, we always do a thing where we, um, you know, we go around the room, everybody introduces themselves. And if it's your first meeting, you're supposed to say, um, if it's your first meeting. So once we have a newcomer, then we always choose one of the seasoned regulars in our group who's been in program a whole long time to um, give a short little, you know, two, three minute thing about what, how they felt when they first entered the rooms of Al-Anon and why they keep coming, you know, what Al-Anon has done to their, their lives. Um, You know, because a lot of people, they don't understand that this is not about the outcome. Um, of what's going to happen to your addict. It's about mm. what's going to happen to you. Um, and that's something, you know, it, it takes a while to totally grasp, but, but I think it's important that they, Oh, my earbud just popped out. Hold on. Okay. Can you still hear me? I can still wait, hear hold you. On. Okay. Wait, these little things, problems I have little ears and these earbuds <laughs> are for like, they're like, they're only like one size fits all. They're awful when I'm working out and then, Go on the treadmill and go flying behind me. It's really embarrassing. You need to get like get like a headband or something. You pull it and you pull it over and you pull it over your ears. Uh, I guess I could do that. My hair is so short. I think I would look kind of goofy with a headband. But you, anyway, you know it's not a fashion show. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just, just working out. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, all right. Cool. So, so after ten years, I'm still I'm I'm sober. You know, I'm going on four years pretty soon. So why are you still going? Um, I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, cause I, I get asked that never, I don't ever get asked that obviously by people in the meeting, but I get asked that by, um, 
friends of mine. And, and these, these, I don't get offended because they don't understand what Al-Anon is about. They don't get the first concept that it's not about saving the addict because we know mm. we can't do that. We know we can't do it. It's about, mm. it's about learning to cope with the fact that we can't do that. And also, and this is a huge thing, you, you learn things about how to function in a healthy manner in all aspects of your life. It has helped me tremendously. I mean, you saw me as the control freak my whole life, but think yeah. about how I was. Think about how I was with my siblings. I did it with them too. You know, the oldest of five, and I was big on telling. I had all the answers, and I was big on telling people what to do. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm sure that they would be laughing if they're listening to this, going, "Yeah," and she doesn't still do it. I but I, I, you know, I don't do it. I feel unless I'm really naive that. I really don't do it to the extent. And, and when I do, I try to catch myself. Mm -hmm. But it, it's helped me just learn that I can't control. I can control very little mm -hmm. in this world. And, and another reason why I keep coming back is out of a sense of um, loyalty and service to others. Like I look mm -hmm. at myself and my growth in Al-Anon. Where would I be if that person that's been going for 10 years wasn't there proving to me how they have a life, a happy life, even when terrible things. I mean, we have people that children have died and they mm. still attend the meeting because oh, it's, wow. it's, it's about, it's about that. It's about themselves. And, and, and I, and, and the other reality is there's no guarantees. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, as an addict, you accept the fact that you know that relapse is around every corner. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yep. I'm not naive about that. So when people say, don't you fear that call at 2 a.m., I'm telling the truth. It could happen. When I say I, that I don't fear it, though, because I'm not going to live my life in fear anymore. Spent, mm -hmm. Been there, done it, spent too much time. And so while you know things can happen, you get you you let go of the fear. And if it was not yeah, for my weekly yeah. meetings and learning about how other people handle the fear in their life and just mm -hmm. learn to turn it over. Um, so that, that's why I keep coming back. Cause I, you know, I want to be that person that somebody can say, wow, look at Margot Polly. Her son, you know, was arrested, was doing heroin, was an alcoholic. There were two periods of time where for over a year, she didn't know where he was. There were no communication. And mm -hmm. she got on, she was sad and she was, you know, very sad and scared, but she kept on with her life. Yeah. It did not destroy her other relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, Keith, you know, I mean, I guess this is okay to say, I mean, people yeah. that know us know that my current husband is not your father. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, we got, when we got married, you were already out the house, you know, you went to yeah. college. So yeah. there was never a time where you even lived with us or spent much time with us. Yeah. You know, imagine what that would have done to my marriage had oh. I not been able to shed that constant crying and worrying and anxiety and obsessive thinking and talking about it 24 oh, yeah. hours a day. Oh, yeah. Because he, because he wasn't, what could he help me with that? No. Yeah. So it, it, it helped me learn to shift that to yeah. the, the other place, you know, I'm sure, you know, we say this all the time, you don't go to the hardware store to buy milk. 
you know. <laughs> so, you know, that that's that's um that's why I, I keep coming back. I mean, I feel I have an obligation. I mean, yeah. if I miss a meeting, I mean, I don't mean to sound cocky, but if I miss a meeting, I'll get texts like, we missed you. Where were you? You okay? You know, yeah. Um, I've had people come up to me that I barely know and they'll say, you know, you shared something once that really had a marked impact on me. Something I had no, this is something I shared in the meeting, no biggie. Mm -hmm. And people, you never know what you're going to say that's going to mm -hmm. have a profound effect on people. And, yeah. and I, like, I'll, I'll hear something in a meeting and I'll think about it the entire way home. And I guarantee you that person had no idea that mm -hmm. what they shared had such an impact on me. They, they don't know. And that's the beauty of the program. It's pure honesty. Awesome. That's awesome. This is the One Uncovered Radio Network. We're here with Margo Polly on the Big Things Nine podcast. So tell me about uh, service. What's the importance of it? Um. I believe strongly that two things, when you give to others, you get it back. But mm -hmm. I also believe that it is good for me. It is good when I'm involved in my program with service. I, I just feel good. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe. I'm not someone that's ever gotten involved with the politics of Al-Anon. And believe me, oh, there are some that do. I mean, there's, you know, you have your, your group, your group meeting. And then mm -hmm. your group is part of what we call the district. And I think we're district <laughs> 10 and, and our district is, <laughs> is the North shore. It's Mandeville, Covington, Hammond, Slidell, it's like Hunger Washington Parish. Like very Games. much like that. Yeah. But like <laughs> the people on the South shore, New Orleans, Jefferson, you know, they're in a different district. So then you have your <laughs> state convention and all these dis district reps and group reps, go to state convention and then you have your big grand poobahs i'm sure on the <laughs> the national level then you go to the international convention and you know i i have you know when i first started now and i was working full-time it never i never felt a calling to do that but i also know what my strengths are and and i'm a very organized i i'd like to think i'm a very organized efficient person so my service was, I first started, with, it's the way most people start, just volunteering to chair meetings. So, you know, mm -hmm. you volunteer to chair, or some, the way we do is you sign up for a month, you know, you get there early, you set up everything, you lead the meeting. Um, but I served as secretary treasurer, there's three year terms, and I served as uh, secretary treasurer for a three year period. And it was great, I mean, I loved it. I like to think I did a really good job. Um, it's a good bit of work. I mean, you have to keep track of mm -hmm. all the finances. You have to do all the contributions, all the paperwork, the phone yeah. list, yeah, the all that kind. The order all the books that people can buy, all that kind of stuff. Yep. But um, you can't serve consecutive terms. So uh, okay. when I when my term ran out, someone else had to do it. Now the, that term is over this November, and I'm perfectly happy to do it again. But if somebody else wants to do it, of course, you want to let someone um, else that's never done it because it's a good gateway, you know, to, to getting. So service is just it's a way of belonging. It's a way to, it's a way of giving back because, you know, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> somebody's got to do it. Right. Oh. So why not me? Awesome. All right. Finally, last question. Okay. How has Alan improved the family for individuals that do not attend? 
Um, that is a great, great question. And, and this yeah. is something I, I learned very early in Al-Anon. Um, it's really easy to, to upset the apple cart. One small change can have a tremendous, um, tremendous effect. When I started, our whole family, your father, your brother, me, we were all in chaos because mm -hmm. it's a family disease. Yep. I guess, you know, when you love someone, it's a family disease. Um, obviously, you know, I grew up with it. You know, your grandmother was an alcoholic, didn't really, she didn't really start shining, you know, until she moved <laughs> kind of late in life. But yeah, but she really, you know, so, so, but I always knew that she there were certain her. things. She shined her. Uh, there were signs. There, there were things. There, there were many times where she embarrassed us. Um, yeah. by being drunk at events and stuff. And, you yeah. know, th there was a lot of, there were, there were definitely signs. Um, so, um, and, you know, I have uh, siblings that have struggled with addiction too. So it truly is, uh, it, it is, it is a family disease. So here you have, you know, the reality of Tommy, you know, your brother is an addict and then, you know, your dad and, and me. And so, you know, Tommy was young. I get it. Al-Anon, you know, just probably wasn't appealing to him. Mm -hmm. um, so I went into it and once, you know, I was able to start saying no, mm -hmm. your dad was behind me in being able to say no. Mm -hmm. But he, as you'll recall, he wasn't that far behind me. Yeah. In, in enabling because once I think he, in his heart knew it was wrong but like anyone, it's a hard thing to do. You know, it's a hard thing to say no. You're thinking, well, you know, what's $500 to me right now, you know, at this point? Yeah. Um, of course, $500 to me right now with this economy is is a lot more than it was. Then. Shoot, that's, that's but, a bottle of milk. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, or gas tank. But, yeah, um, filling up your so, daddy's truck. <laughs> yeah. So once I was able to make the changes in my life, um, I think I, I like to feel that I was able to sort of lead by example. Yes. And I think with your brother, it gave him a sense of trust. I, I think the biggest shock, and I, I hope this is okay sharing this story, but not for you. I know you're cool, but anyone listening, but when you were um, arrested, what mm -hmm. it was, uh, it, November 12th in 2018 yeah. or whatever yep. it was. Yep. And um, I learned about it through fabulous Google and it was in November and, and I made a decision at that point not to tell anyone until after the holidays. Mm -hmm. I did not want to ruin Tommy's Christmas. I did not want to ruin your dad's Christmas. And, and I know sure. that was sort of a lot of people would say, well, you know, you made a decision for an adult, uh, you know, those, that maybe smart. That, that maybe you shouldn't have. But, you know, this is the way I figured. I figured, okay, how did I find out? I found out by being obsessive about checking police records and all that. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I brought this on myself is the way I looked at it. Uh -huh. So I'll never forget. I was, um, it was short. It was two days after New Year's, maybe the day after New Year. And I see Tommy's car pull up in front of the house. And it was an unannounced visit which your brother doesn't usually, well, he does it now, but he wasn't doing it. So much. <laughs> yeah. So he walks up the, he walks up the stairs and comes in the living room 
And this is where <laughs> I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> and he didn't say a word. He just looked at me and I said to him, I already know. And the look of shock on his face, he thought, I don't, that like, I think your uncle Brent, somebody had seen it. Somebody had seen it and let them know. I think he thought that I had found out like five minutes before. Uh huh. So I said, sit down. And I told him that I found out like in no, early November. And uh -huh. he couldn't believe, knowing me, what a crier, what an emotional person I am. Uh -huh. he, I don't think he believed that I had the strength to, to, hold in. to keep it to myself, know there was nothing I can do, and finally be an adult uh -huh. and say, this may affect my Christmas, but why am I going to let it affect anyone else's? Kudos to you. And it was hard. I know, it but that's really, really hard. I think that's but awesome. But it was a, it was a tremendous step in my growth. And when, when I think that had a huge effect on your brother, and you know, it's hard, like you know, being asked for money. You mm -hmm. know, I don't know if, if it's hard. You know, people want to do things for others, but yeah, enabling it's hard not to enable. It's yeah. hard not to enable. And I think, I mean. Um, I think I like to think that my strength I've gotten through Al-Anon has helped them hold boundaries and not enable. Yeah. And, you I know, get, it's and good I now. Get, you haven't asked. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't needed to. You know, I don't, right. I don't put myself in the situations. And, you know, I right. have you know, I'm in the same situations. I have friends that ask me for help a lot. And, and, yeah. and, and it's friends that I know that. I haven't heard from in a while, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and there's a reason I haven't heard from him in a while, you know, if it's, right. a, it's, if it's a friend that I talk to every day. Yeah, sure. You know, if, right. you, need a, if you need a couple of bucks to go buy a soda. Sure. Go ahead. Right. You know, but, right. but if it's somebody that I, that I haven't heard from in six months and, and they come ask me for 20 bucks, like mm, that doesn't feel right. Right. You right. Know, so. And you and I, I feel like have been able to get very good established boundaries on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and he, I'm, you're an adult, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm finally able I to take, treat you like one. I, I, I take care of myself. I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. So, but, um, but yeah, that's all I got today. Gosh, I think that was, this, a, is, flown, uh, this is absolutely flown. Of course, I love, you know, being able to talk about Al-Anon, but, um, that was, this that, is flown. No, that was a great interview. I really appreciate it. All right. And, um, that was a that was a good hour. It did fly by. And, yeah. Uh, that was Margot Polly, everybody. She's our uh, famous librarian. Uh, <laughs> retired from, uh, librarian. Retired librarian. Retired librarian from the, from the state of Louisiana. They already miss her. But uh, I, I love you, mom. And, love uh, you, baby. Thank you for doing the interview, and we'll have our uh, Rachel coming on next. All right. Can't wait to hear. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Mama's gonna put all of her fears into you Mama's gonna keep you right here under her wing She won't let you fly, but she might let you sing Mama's gonna keep baby cozy and warm
Keith on the One Cover Radio Network, and we're back with uh, Rachel. She's our fifth critic. How you doing, Rachel? Pretty good. Excited welcome, to be here. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank so, you. So, uh, what restaurants are we talking about tonight? Well, we're talking about two gyms in the Salt Lake Valley, Ochre Restaurant in downtown, and then Valter's Osteria, or Osteria, how do you pronounce it? I don't know, Osteria? Osteria, Osteria. um, Osteria, Osteria. It's delicious. (laughs) And that one's also downtown. Yep, that's a good one. Love it. There many right. times. I love Walters. So, so let's start, let's start with uh, Ochre. Okay, sounds good. All right, so well, let's talk about the dinner menu there. What's what's your favorite on there? Okay, well, first off, this isn't optional. When you go, you have to get the house sourdough bread. It okay. comes with. Butter, radish, and sea salt. Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect beginning to whatever meal you're going to get. Okay. The sourdough is, is I don't want to say it's crispy. It's, not, it's nice because the bread's chewy, but then mm-hmm. the crust is nice mm-hmm. and golden. It's got good bite to it. Mm-hmm. And then you got the radish. And the butter, I think they make the butter in-house, too. Oh, wow. Um, so the butter with the radish, it just starts you off on with the right foot. Yeah. And it's just like this decadent, fatty bite before you jump in to whatever you're going <laughs> to order. <laughs> this um, and the menu does change mm-hmm. with the seasons. Yeah. So, um, you won't if you go there now. You won't get. You won't be able to get the same thing you'll get if you go in like November. Mm-hmm. So you gotta go when you see something that you love. Menu and it's it's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, what speaks to you, Pete? What speaks to your stomach? Well, I love I love mussels, and they have they have beer steam mussels with a with a um with the chassing tail ale, bone marrow. With our toast points, I don't know um, what toast points means, but I, I'm into it. I just, you know, I just made a um, a bone marrow toast a couple weeks ago. This is a very um, so. What you do is you roast your bone marrow, and if you go to Harmon's, you can get like a pound of marrow bones for like seven dollars. Not that oh. expensive. Oh, um, so you roast them. On a grill, you can probably you can do it in an oven too. Mm-hmm. But then once they're roasted, you scoop out the marrow, um, and it makes this like fatty beef butter um, mm-hmm. that's mixed with the fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put it on a crusty bread, and then you do a salad of shallot, lemon, and parsley, and mm-hmm. it is decadent. You are feeling like Jeff Bezos when you eat that. Let me tell you. <laughs> wow. I mean, not that you would ever want to feel like Jeff Bezos, honestly. I mean, maybe your bank account, but 
he's kind of an awful human being, in my opinion. But anyway, I agree. Um, very good, very good. Highly recommend. If you haven't had bone marrow, some people are a little scared of it because it's gray. It's kind of mm-hmm. grayish black. So mm-hmm. the color isn't very appetizing. But just close your eyes and cover it in the parsley mm-hmm. and onion, and you'll be grateful that you tried it. That's awesome. So, so tell me about tell me about the the uh, the chicken fried duck breast. Oh well, you just said one of my trigger words, and not trigger in the sense of like, you know, you need to warn me about it. Like trigger in the sense that if I see that, I am going to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to hide my wallet <laughs> if I see it. Um, it's covered, well, cr- honest, Well, it has crispy duck skin breading. And honestly, there's no better way to eat a protein than when you get the fat, ski- crispy skin with it. I mean, if you're not eating the, fast, be cr- the fat, crispy skin with it, what is even the point of eating the protein? <laughs> and it's covered in basil dust. And I don't know what that is, but I want it covered all over my body with butter <laughs> Listen, it gets better Keith it gets better All right, there's a go spicy ahead, ahead. chili honey drizzled on top oh my gosh wow Ugh. I don't know I if you've ever had spicy chili honey on like a pepperoni pizza No. really it really brings the pizza next level so you're it goes from like your middle school cafeteria pizza to like pizza that you're eating on like Ninth Avenue in New York. <laughs> it's an easy way to bring, well, to make your to um, help your pizza grow up. I guess is what I say. Your pepperoni pizza. Wow. To yeah, give us some balls. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Hey, let's go check out the brunch menu. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I love brunch. You know, like we were saying yesterday, brunch is like the perfect meal. Oh, of course. Lunch and breakfast. Yes, exactly. Combination Together. of the two best meals, in my opinion. And it's just comfort food, you know? Yep. And uh, no, we're probably going gonna... to... nothing fancy. Just pure comfort. Gonna... And then you can get... Oh, I was going to say, we're probably going to have to go through this whole menu right here, because this menu is insane. Okay, I'm ready for it. All right, let's start off with uh, the buckwheat pancakes. It's um okay. It's it's a stack of three pancakes, seasonal fruit, whipped cream, maple syrup. Um, this changes see this changes seasonal. Obviously, what I saw when I looked at you last time, they had uh, cherry pancakes, and cherries my cherry. trigger word. Cherries my trigger word, as you know. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And cherry pancakes. Oh my gosh. Right. Yes, if, if Keith sees a cherry, he's gonna he's gonna throw it on whatever is in front of him. Him, whether that be a burrito or yeah. a cheeseburger. I think a yogurt. I know you love your yogurt. Oh yeah, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you know. Well, yeah. Just... The thing that I like about this is they're not even they're not trying to sell it to you with something fancy like basil dust. They have a lot of confidence in this recipe. If they're yeah. just telling you they're serving it with fruit, whipped cream, and maple syrup, that means it stands alone by itself and that they're using yeah. good ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's 13 pancakes like that. That's incredible. It's like this. You know? So yeah. you can't complain. 
Be at least three, at least three for thirteen, because that's like ten dollars a pancake. <laughs> not ten dollars yeah. a pancake. Um, I that would be thirty dollars. I'm not no. good at math, guys. It, it was no. my strong suit in high no. school, but yeah. You're okay. <laughs> no one's judging my math, my my poor calculate, my poor calculation skills. We're we're here we're here to judge, judge your your food tasting skills. My so. food taste. <laughs> and okay, next next is bread pudding, French toast that. with cashews and herbs, and there's a sweet and a savory option because if you're like me, who doesn't like necessarily a sweet breakfast option most of the time. Mm-hmm. You got something to satisfy that salt, that need for salt in the AM. Mm-hmm. Their savory option has is red eye sausage gravy with mushrooms and cheese dirt. Ooh, yum. Mm-hmm. And the that sweet option. Really in the sweet the option. Sweet yeah, yeah, what's that? Uh, oh. Seasonal fruits, compote with honey, mint, and maple syrup. That's Which great. I I would say honey I feel like is an underutilized aspect in dessert, uh huh, or in just in food in general. I'm I'm a honey nut, so if I see honey, I will. That is another trigger for me. So I like <laughs> to see that they're using that on their bread pudding. <laughs> awesome. Um, but I like the mint too, cause like the mint kind of adds that nice herbiness, cause you know every dish. Gotta have a little bit of herb to yep. round out the palate. Yep, I agree. And mint's a great one for, you know, fruit, anything sweet. You know, mint is your breakfast. Your not your your dessert friendly herb, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Eggs Benedict is next. Talk about it. Tell me about it. Soft okay. Well, they have crabs on it. So. <laughs> oh, oh, and it's cornmeal fried. Mm. Oh, oh, man, it's so good. Yum, yum. You know, you got me with fried. Um, and you know, I like that they just have a classic option too. You know, like I was saying, sometimes if I'm at a restaurant and the Hollandaise has a bunch of junk on it, sometimes mm-hmm. I worry that. They're either missing the mark or their ingredients aren't that good. And so they have to, they feel like they have to add more stuff to hide the fact that, you know, their ham and the, uh, well, I want to call it an egg McMuffin, but it's not, an English muffin. The English yeah. muffin is an egg McMuffin. <laughs> you know? Muffin. <laughs> not called an egg McMuffin. <laughs> I guess the egg McMuffin, though, is what made the English muffin famous. So. Yeah, yeah, it did. But, but yeah, yeah, I do love I do love a good seafood with an eggs benedict. You know, I've seen eggs benedict before with like um locks uh, mm-hmm. or um I saw a benedict once with um shrimp. Alligator. Really? Oh, alligator I haven't seen that. Yeah, alligator sausage. How was that? Tell me about that. Back in Louisiana I had it. It was just simple and instead of uh, the ham, it just it was a Piece of alligator sausage cut in half, round right top of uh-huh. the muffin. So, it was delicious. What is? Yeah, what is like? Did it taste like just a? Did it taste like a breakfast sausage or? Tasted like alligator. Or what did it taste like? 
Alligator. The alligator. Okay, I don't know what alligator tastes like. I did kinda not grow like, up in the bayou. Like, kind of like a chi- chicken with kind of a seafood flair to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I could get into that. Yeah. It's, I, it's I like it. It's umami. It's like chicken with a little bit more umami. Yeah. And, and the thing with alligator is that people don't realize the, the, the tail of the alligator is, is, really t- is really tough meat, you know? And uh-huh. But the, the secret is the jaw meat is where all the t- that's is, that's where all the tender meat is. Yes, I mean it's the same with the cow, the yeah. um, the cow jaw meat. It's mm-hmm. a um, delicacy in Italian cuisine, yeah. and it's what carbonara is traditionally traditionally made with. It's called like guan guanciale or something. Mm-hmm. It's not made with pancetta. Yeah, but it's made with that tender jaw meat in the cow. Yep. So that makes sense. Yep, makes sense. <laughs> so right, we're gonna skip that one. Let's go. Let's tell me about those. Right, let's talk about the burger. The burger. Oh. This is this is incredible. You guys are gonna love this one. I know. I feel like we need a drum roll with each ingredient. <laughs> okay, we start off with some Alpine cheese, which by itself isn't that exciting, but it gets better. Okay, listen to this next part. Four qua aioli. Mmm. Decadence. <laughs> you're a rich man when you're eating four qua aioli. And then we got some bacon onion jam coming in the middle. But then we finish it off with a beautiful brioche bun and hash brown. Mm. Keith, what are and you then, thinking? I want to. I want to add a fried egg to it. Oh yeah, for two fifty you can add a fried egg. Oh <laughs> man, that is just like, ugh. The it's like a fat bomb, but in the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good burger. It's a really good burger. Yes, and I love that they have a breakfast burger. I haven't seen a ton of places that have a breakfast burger. No, you rarely see it on a, on a brunch menu. No, you don't. But I love. I am trash for a fried egg. On a burger. So I don't know why more people haven't jumped on that. They didn't see that and be like, oh, yeah, a burger can be a breakfast item. Just add an egg. Yep. <laughs> I will say, though, I did have the foie gras at Ochre last time I went. And at least uh-huh. the kind I got then, it did kind of taste like pureed Stouffer's. Did it? <laughs> Stouffer's stuffing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It did taste a little bit like that, which I mean, it's not bad. I love, I love stuffing and I'm not, I'm not, you know, proud enough to not eat Stouffer's stovetop. So, but I will say you might, this burger might have a little bit of a, a, a Stouffer's stuffing note in the AOA. So be warned if that's not your thing. Well, <laughs> So, but now let's go to dinner at Vultures. Okay. Yes. The well, best for last. I will tell you, Vultures, I'm, I'm a veal guy. That veal is my thing. And what is, what is my favorite dish at Vultures? Veal marsala. Mm. It's, a, mm. a nat, it, it's a natural milk-fed veal, top round scallopino, and it's served with oyster mushrooms and a marsala sauce. This, How many times have you gotten this? this Do you think? Every time. Every time. Yeah. Comes my to mo- you every time. My mom my, my mom got 
I think my mom got the um when she was in town last time. I think she got the scallopine, the one at the bottom, scallopine. The I don't even know how to say that. Oh, I know, I know. I'm not Italian. With the porcini ragu. The Diavello, yeah, the one that the one that says the, the top round scallopino with with porcini mushroom Italian sausage. I think that's the one that she got. Mmm. And then I I started off I started off with a uh, caprese salad. Mmm. Uh, yes, because yeah. you're gonna get Italian food. Why? Yeah. I mean, how, is it really an Italian meal if you don't start it off with a caprese a caprese salad? I just love the caprese salad. You know, oh. caprese salad and veal marsala. And in the veal, you just you don't you don't even need to pull out a knife. Like I get offended if somebody pulls out a knife at Vultures to eat their veal. You're like, do you know whose house you're in? Like, are you, are you serious using a <laughs> using a knife to, to cut your veal at Vultures? How like, dare you desecrate this veal with that knife? You don't need it. Yeah. That so, person, I can guarantee you, a person using a knife on that veal does not know what they're eating and how good it is. I just, no, is oblivious to the quality of what I they're would, getting. I would just get so offended. So I'm surprised Walters doesn't just come out and if he sees a knife, just grab it out of their hands and confiscate it. Mr. Volter, the old man, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've talked with him before. He's nice. The legend he, himself. He he goes by every table and he talks to everybody. He's such a nice guy, you know. But um but moving on, hey, so I I want to talk about the um under the veal. What, yes. Yeah, let's talk about that dish. Because I don't know anything about it, but you've talked about it. You say it's the dish for kings, right? Yes. Tell me about it. The, <laughs> the <laughs> Mamma Mia, the La Mia Cantagnata. Yes. And I, I probably butchered that, but I tried, guys. Mm -hmm. So um, it comes with this natural Duroc pork tenderloin, mm -hmm. which um, this type of pork tenderloin has more um, intramuscular fat in a higher pH than other pork. So you know mm. if it's got more fat, it's got more flavor because fat is flavor. And it also comes with fig and apple. Mm -hmm. And this is and this is where I get the image of the king because you know when I when I think of like your stereotypical medieval king, I just see the pig, like the whole pig on the table with the apple mm -hmm. with the fruit in its mouth. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. So <laughs> you got that in yep. a fresh grape with fresh grape mustard. Yum. So you, you continue on with the fruit. You got the apples, figs, and grape. Mmm. Free fruit. I would Three love pieces to of beautiful fruit. I would love to get that, but it's like when I'm going down the menu, it's like I can't pass the veal. That's did my you did you forget did you forget the reduced port sauce that's covered in oh, port man. the dessert wine? Oh. This is dessert meat. It's all oh. dessert. It's oh. apples, figs, grape, and dessert wine. In the pork. Mmm. Mm. Mama Mia. See, that's something that I would hope that the person sitting next to me would get. <laughs> So you can try it? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Well, next time, okay, next, next time. You're going to get that. I'll, I'll get the La Mia Contagnata. Yeah, I'm going to get, get the, the Marsala. Marsala. 
Yeah, so make it happen. So you can, you know, so you can finally, so you can still get your veal marsala, yeah. sacred veal marsala, but also try something different. Yes, and you'll and you'll get the, the the dish for kings, as we call it. Yes, yes. I want it. I hope it's served on a silver platter. You know, that has like intricate engravings along the edge. Yeah. And then, Do you think and, they serve it with a crown? A probably, crown I can wear while I eat it. Probably, and then Mr. Vulture or Mr. Vulture could probably come put it right on your head. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, I as, would love that. I as, would probably just die of happiness. As, as you eat it, but um, and then also, you know, you know what I I love to get is uh the, the creme brulee, and they they top it with berries, and they come with the torch, and they torch it. And everything, mm. and, they, and then they put mm. the berries on top. They do a table side, and then they come put the berries right on top of that's it. That's service. That's yeah. service. It's so good, it's and it's it's a big dish too. It's it's not like the, one of the little small little cups. It's a it's a big cup. It's a daddy. Yeah. Um. It's not it's not your little baby creme brulee. It's the daddy creme brulee. Yeah, it's the daddy creme brulee. So, so if you're going to Vultures, Caprice, Villamarsala. Creme brulee. Or if you want to be royalty like me, yeah, get the Lamia Compagnata. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah, guys. So that that's that's vultures and uh and ochres. So, um, what do you think? Yeah, Rachel? Keith and I have a lot of eating to do before I come back on. Yeah, we got a lot. We're gonna like... um. So, next time you come on in two weeks, we're gonna talk about um, what was it? The seafood restaurant. Current, which current. is also downtown. Yeah, and, and current downtown um, is where it's at, guys. Yeah. And if current, you want to, if, if you want to go, if you want to eat somewhere great in your downtown, just throw a rock and you'll find somewhere fantastic. Yeah. And current's awesome. So we're gonna talk about current uh, next time. So great, I look but, forward to it. But um, Rachel, hey, it's been it's great, been great having you on. Um, yes, thanks, Keith. It was fun, and uh, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Yes, thanks for having me, Keith. You're my you're my foodie friend forever. My Absol- FFF. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Th- <laughs> thanks, for, thanks, Rachel. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye, Keith.